All right. Well, Matthew chapter 7. Nice. Matthew chapter 7. So we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things that I was thinking about this morning, or not this morning, but when I was looking at this to prepare, I was realizing like a lot of times people will take really small sections of the Bible and then talk a ton about those sections, but then you completely miss how they relate to each other. So tonight, we're actually going to talk about three of like the most famous sections of the entire Bible and in the Sermon on the Mount. One is judge not lest you be judged. The other one is ask and you shall receive. And the other one is do unto others as you would have them do to you. Three of the most famous sections of Matthew, famous sections of the Bible. And the thing that I think is interesting is like we spend a lot of time talking about those sections in isolation. But tonight, instead of doing a deep dive into each section, I want to talk to you about how they flow into one another and to see how they relate to each other. So before we start, we are getting to the end. And by the way, since I'm kind of shrinking the schedule for Matthew, we were originally going to do these in three separate lessons. But since we're doing them all at once, it means that next week is our last lesson out of the Sermon on the Mount. So that's pretty cool. You know, 14 part message or series, we're coming to the end of it. That's pretty exciting. And here's what that also means. Since we're finishing a series, we're doing another special night. So after the Sermon on the Mount, we'll be doing a Q&A night. So Q&A night is question and answer night. And the way that, that works is that you guys will have time in advance to prepare your questions and then come to youth group. And for the entirety of youth group, instead of me giving you a lesson, you're going to ask me whatever you want to. I'll be up here with a Bible and I'll answer your questions. Yes. When? So it's not going to be next week, but it's going to be the week after next or, um, no, sorry. This is the sixth. So next week is the last week for the um, Sermon on the Mount series. And then there's no youth group because it's VBS. But the next time we have youth group after next week will be the Q&A night. Second, what, three weeks? Yeah, about, about three weeks. So <clears throat> that was weird. So Q&A night is a neat opportunity for instead of me trying to tell you the things that I think would be valuable, I get to instead directly address the things that are of concern to you. So that's exciting. And I actually really enjoy Q&A nights. They're always my favorite part of youth group, uh, but that's going to be coming up. So before we do go into the things that we're specifically talking about tonight, I want to do a brief overview of the Sermon on the Mount that we've read so far. First things first, Jesus had an introduction. He talked about the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. We talked about how being a Christian is having these internal realities, and then those internal realities flow out into your behavior, but all of it comes down to poor in spirit. Who comes into the kingdom of God? The humble, the ones who recognize their need. And then Jesus said, well, okay, and then you're going to be salt and light. You got to be something before you can do something. You're going to go into the world. You're going to show the world who I am. And then that was the introduction. And then he got into his main point where he's talking about what not to do. He's saying, you know, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's addressing the fact that trying to earn your way in isn't possible. He's saying, you think that you haven't broken the law because you haven't murdered. But I say, if you've been angry with your brother and insulted him, then you've already sinned. So he talks about what not to do. And then he finishes that section by saying, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And then he goes into what you should do. He says, this is how you should pray. This is how you should give charity. This is how you should address anxiety. These are the ways that you should function. And now we're coming to the conclusion. And tonight we're going to be talking about how do you respond to Christ's law? How does a Christian respond to Christ's law? And then next week is 
kind of like Jesus's altar call where Jesus is like, make a decision. So we're going to be going over that next week. But this week we're going to be talking about how are you supposed to respond to Christ's law? So we're going to read in uh, chapter seven, verses one through 12. Uh, I'm going to, I'm not going to go through the entire thing all at once. So we're just going to take this in sections. So chapter seven, verse one, it says, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, uh, out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So the first thing that we see is that when you're responding to the law of Christ, one of the tendencies you might have is to look around at all of the other people who aren't doing the things that they're supposed to do and being like, oh, those sinners over there who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. I'm doing what I should do. And we can start looking down on other people. And what Jesus says is your response to me giving you law is not to immediately look at all of the other people who aren't following it, but instead it's to look at yourself. Because it's a lot easier to see the sin in other people's lives than it is to address the sin in our own lives. It's a lot more easy and enjoyable to judge others than it is to work on ourselves. So Jesus is saying, when you're seeing what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing, the response is not to start being hard on other people. The response is to make sure that you are doing what you're supposed to do. I'm not giving this command so that you can go run after others. I'm giving this command so that you can work on your own life. And so he says, judge not that you not be judged. But here's the thing. The Bible says all over the place that you're supposed to judge. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good uh, character. In other words, you need to be able to identify when people have bad uh, character so that you don't hang around those people and ruin your own character. Additionally, in 2 John chapter 1, verses 9-11, through 11, it says, Everyone who goes on and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in his teaching has both the Father and the Son. And then he says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So in the Bible, we're told to evaluate teachers. We're told to evaluate character. We're told to evaluate behavior. We're told to evaluate righteousness and, and all that good stuff. And so it's a little bit strange. It's like, well, okay, Jesus says don't judge people. And yet the Bible says all over the place to judge people. So here's the, the thing. Even in Matthew 7 it's very clear that you are supposed to judge people. Here's how I can say that. He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, help me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then leave the speck in your brother's? No. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
So you are supposed to judge. You are supposed to be able to see the behavior in other people's lives and see that it's not the way it should be. But here's the thing. You don't despise people. You don't look down on people. If I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I look at someone else who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's one thing to say, I can tell that person's not doing what they're supposed to do. It's another thing to say, wow, what a worthless person. I'm so much better than they are because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Like, no, that's arrogant. That's judgmental. And that's the kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about. You're not trying to self-righteously look down on other people. Instead, you're going to notice what they're doing and you're going to lovingly help them. First and foremost, when I receive a law from God, I'm making sure that I'm following it. Because whether or not that person's following it is less important to me than whether or not I'm following it. Because I care about my relationship with God. But if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, sin's destructive. If that person's doing something that's sinful, that's actually harming them. And so if I love them, I'm going to try to help them. But, and I'm actually going to give you an example of this. In Romans chapter 9, Paul is talking to a Roman church and he's explaining to them the gospel. And in chapter 9, he starts talking about Israel. Now, in the Bible, Israel rejected Jesus. And not every Israelite rejected Jesus. The, you know, the, the early church was primarily Jewish, but the majority of the Jews rejected Jesus. And so Paul is talking about the fact that Israel had rejected their Messiah. And this is one of the things he says in verses 1 through 3. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So Paul's feeling pretty intensely, right? And he says, for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Real quick, what race was Paul? He was not Roman. He was a Roman citizen, but what race was Paul? What ethnicity? Jewish. Paul was a Jew. That is correct. Paul was a Jew. Before he converted, he was a Pharisee. And so he's saying, man, Israel has rejected Jesus. Israel is in apostasy. I would go to hell if it meant that my fellow Israelites could be saved. Jesus, like, sorry, Paul is saying, I would swap places with them. That is a very different attitude than looking at people who are struggling and doing the wrong thing and saying, man, I'm so much better and smarter than they are. Paul's not looking at the rest of the Israelites and saying, I knew what to do. I had a real grip on things. I'm a good person. I made the smarter decision. I'm, I'm better off than those losers. Paul looks at people that are doing the wrong thing and he doesn't feel, wow, what losers? He's thinking, man, I wish I could help them. I would give anything to help them. And that's the attitude we're supposed to have. Well, okay. In verse 6, it says, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You don't always help your brother take the speck out of his eye. There are some people that you go to them, and you tell them, and you confront them, and you talk to them because you love them, and you want them to work on it. But sometimes, if someone consistently rejects you, and they actively tell you, like, I do not want to hear about it, there's actually a certain point where you stop, and you just pray for them. You pray for them and you let them go their way. And we're not going to spend more time on that, but it is valuable to see, one, you're not supposed to look down on people. You're supposed to recognize that what they're doing is sinful, but you're not supposed to hate them for it. You're not supposed to think that you're a better person than they are. You're supposed to look at them and say, man, they're a sinner. 
just like I'm a sinner. And I want God to show them grace, just like God showed me grace. So you look to yourself first, you pray for them, and where you can, you help them. But sometimes, if they don't want your help, leave them alone and pray for them. So that's the first thing, is that we're seeing how not to respond to people. So when you receive Christ's law, you are not supposed to respond to people judgmentally. Well, we continue. Because we can now go to the next section. Because here's the thing. If I'm looking at Christ's law, and I'm not primarily looking at everyone else, but I'm instead looking at myself, what might I realize? If I'm looking at Christ's law, and I'm looking at whether or not I'm following Christ's law, what am I going to realize? Am I following it or am I not? What is it? I'm not following it. If I look at Christ's law, if I look at the Bible, and I look at it honestly, and I look at myself honestly, the thing I'm going to find is that I'm pretty messed up. (laughs) That I'm a sinner, and I've got problems. And so, there's a how to respond to God. When we receive Christ's law, we are supposed to respond to God in a certain way. Because, in verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so here's the thing. If I'm looking at Christ's law and I'm seeing I don't size up to it, what's the first thing I should do? It's in verse 7. Pray. Pray. That's exactly right. The first thing I'm going to do, if I'm recognizing that I don't size up to Christ's law, is I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to say, man, I've messed up. God, forgive me and God, help me grow. In 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like one of the things I think about, as you get older in your Christian life, or at least this has been the experience in mine, one of the things that you're going to find is that there are situations where you're struggling with a sin for a long time. And you're trying to work on it and you're trying to grow, but the progress is slow. And it's full of getting better for a little bit and then relapsing, getting better for a little bit, relapsing. And you don't just have a straight line up, but you've kind of got like a stock market line where it's going up and down, up and down, up and down, but it has an upward trajectory. So as you're struggling with sin, there might be a situation where you're like, man, I keep praying that God will help me with this sin, but I'm not making any progress. And the thing is, God wants to help you with your sin. And so when you recognize that you've got issues and you're praying that maybe you're praying that God would help you have a better attitude towards your parents. Maybe you're praying that God's going to help you be a more disciplined student. Maybe you're praying for any number of those things. God wants to help you. God wants you to pray and God can help you. And so when you're in that situation where maybe there's something you're struggling with and you keep praying that God would help you with it and it seems like there's no progress being made, Don't lose heart. Keep praying and pray with faith. 
One of the main applications of this is that if there's a non-Christian who prays that God would save them, God's not going to say no. And then if you are a Christian and you pray for character growth, God is happy to answer that prayer. And now here's the other thing. And I'm actually, I'm going to stick with that for a second because it reminds me of Psalm 51, which Psalm 51 is one of my favorite Psalms. And it says, and this is a Psalm where David has been struggling with sin and specifically his sin with Bathsheba, which we talked about that during summer camp. But Psalm 51 was written about David's sin with Bathsheba, where he committed adultery and then murdered the person's husband to cover it up as you do and was in unrepentant sin for an ex- <laughs> that, that was the joke. <laughs> But, um, but he was in unrepentant sin for an extended period of time. And then this is a, a psalm written about his repentance when Nathan came to confront him. And he says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. When we see Christ's law and we don't slice up to it, we, we repent. And then he continues in verse 7 through 10. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So we pray for forgiveness, and we also pray that God would help us grow. So this section, however, while it's in the context of praying for sin and growth, that's not usually the context you hear it in. Most often people talk about this in terms of praying for things in general, which it it kind of relates to that too. Because if I'm praying for like financial stuff where I need a job, God can give me a job. But the issue is God doesn't always say yes to every prayer we pray. But people will be like, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and it will be found. And that's a prayer about sin and spiritual growth. But they'll take that and say, if you pray for a car, if you pray for a Lamborghini, God wants to give you a Lamborghini. God wants to give you anything you ask for without qualification. Ask and you shall receive. And it's like, well, no. Because he says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if his son asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? I want to flip that example. Let's say that someone's actively asking for something that's harmful to them. If, if your son comes up to you and asks you for a snake or asks you for a stone, you might say no. And I mean... I guess nowadays people want snakes as like pets or whatever, but like, <laughs> so let me give you another example that might work a bit better in the 21st century. Let's say that there's a kid and this kid is allergic to peanuts, right? So this kid's allergic to peanuts, but he's not really old enough to understand what that means. Maybe he's like five years old. I don't know, but this kid's allergic to peanuts and he sees his friend over there eating a peanut butter jelly sandwich. And that kid's really enjoying his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so he's like, dad, I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But then his dad is so mean that he doesn't give him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And the kid doesn't understand why. But the dad knows that the kid's allergic to peanuts. So if he eats that peanut butter and jelly sandwich, what's going to happen? He's going to get sick. He's going to die. He's probably going to die. You know, some, some uh, what's that called? It's not anorexia. It's anaphylactic shock. Anaphylactic shock. 
It's definitely not anorexia. Like when your throat closes up. An- anaphylactic shock? Is that what it was? Anaphylactic shock. They both start with A. Um, <laughs> not the same thing, but I couldn't think of the word. Okay. But if the kid asks for a peanut butter and honey sandwich and the father gave him a peanut butter and honey sandwich, would he have been a good father or a bad father? Wait, why are you saying honey sandwich? Peanut butter and honey sandwich? Well, because the point's not the side condiment. It's the peanuts. Whatever. We'll just say peanut butter sandwich. So if the kid wants a peanut butter sandwich and the father gives him that peanut butter sandwich, is he a good father or a bad father? Bad. Bad father. Because it's going to kill the kid. And so here's the thing. A few years ago, when I was in early high school, like junior high, early high school age, I was like ninth, eighth grade, ninth grade, I was afraid to pray. And the reason why is because like, I didn't want to pray for something that would be bad for me. I didn't want to pray for something that was actually bad for me and then have God give it to me. Because I was thinking to myself, you know, God knows better than I do what is going to be good for me. And so what if I pray for something that I think will be good for me, but then it's in actuality, it's, it's actually bad for me. And I was really nervous. And so I started praying and I'd be like, you know, God, I want this thing. But if there's something better, give me the better thing instead. Because did you know that one of the ways that God judges people is by giving them what they want? In Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. So when it says that he gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, lust is when you want something. So there's a bunch of people who actively want something, and in God's mercy, he wasn't letting them have it, and then the way he punishes them is by letting go and letting them have the thing that they want. So I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, and I was thinking, what if I pray for something that I shouldn't have, and then God gives it to me? And I was really scared. And so I'd be like, God, if you have something better for me, give me the better thing instead. And I was talking to my dad about it. And I was like, you know, is that, is that not praying in faith? Is this sinful? Am I like not having trust in God by saying, you know, if you don't want to give this thing to me, don't give it to me. And my dad said, John, that's not a lack of faith. And he said, for example, if you came to me, John, my dad's saying this, he's like, if you came to me and you said, you know, I feel like I'd want this thing, but I also know that you know what's best. And so if you think there'd be something better, I'd actually rather have that. He said, that's, that wouldn't be me being like, man, like he said, John, I wouldn't think you're having such a bad attitude being like, man, you probably won't give this to me. Like I would think that's even more faith because you're comfortable with getting something that you didn't ask for because you trust me to know what's better for you. And so here's the cool thing. James 4, 2b through 3 says you have, you do not have because you do not ask. James 4, uh, 4 uh, verse 2 through 3. So James chapter 4, verse 2 through 3. So James says, you do not have because you do not ask. In other words, if you ask, you would have, right? But then he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So there are situations where you might pray for something and have God say no. And that's actually a loving thing. And we talked about that last week, anxiety, where you can have anxiety because you don't trust God, or you can have anxiety because you trust God, but you don't want what he wants for you. And so when you're praying, recognize that God wants the best thing for you. And sometimes God's going to say no to your prayer because he loves you and because he has something better. So in the context, 
Jesus is talking about praying for spiritual growth. And God is always happy to say yes to that prayer. God wants you to grow spiritually. But if you're praying for other things, God might say no. And so this is not a passage that says, no matter what you ask for, Jesus will say yes. This is a passage that says, when you pray for spiritual growth, God wants to say yes to that and will say yes to that. Maybe not in exactly your timing, but he wants you to grow. But for other things, God's a good father. And if you pray for something harmful for yourself, God's not going to say yes any more than the father whose kid is allergic to peanuts is going to say yes when the kid asks for a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> and so when you pray, you also don't have to be afraid of it. Like after my dad had that conversation with me, I wasn't scared to pray anymore. I wasn't like, man, what if God gives me the thing that's bad for me? I was like, oh, okay, we're chilling. So now there's a third thing. So if you're responding to Christ's law, you're not going to respond by being judgmental to people. You are going to respond in prayer to God because you want to grow and because you're not following Christ's law fully. But now we talked about how not to respond to people. So now we're going to talk about how to respond to people because there is a correct way to respond to people. That is the ugliest E I have ever written. Holy cow. Okay, cool. So, how to respond to people. There is a correct way to respond to others. And that is in verse 12. It says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So if you recognize Christ's law, and you've got a bunch of people that are doing the wrong thing, your response is not to judgmentally look at all of the other people. Instead, you're going to look inward and do the thing you should do. You're going to pray for strength in doing that. But then, if you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are doing the wrong thing, you're going to recognize the wrong thing they're doing. And instead of being upset about it and bitter, you're going to learn, oh, I shouldn't act that way. For example, if you go to school... And you know how sometimes when you're in like junior high and high school, you might have a bunch of people at one table, like scoffingly looking at that loser over there at the other table and talking about all of her problems. Her? Uh, typically, I don't know. I just naturally associate well, gossiping with women. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, guys typically are more often going to beat each other up, whereas girls are typically going to more often gossip about each other. So I'm not saying that only women gossip. I'm just saying that it's more common. Um, why are we talking about? Okay, anyways. So let's just say you're at school and a bunch of uh, a table, you've got a bunch of students gossiping about some other person. So if you go to school and you see a bunch of people gossiping about you, that sucks. It's terrible. But instead of responding to that by thinking to yourself, man, those jerks and like seething in your bitterness and being angry at those losers over there, Instead, what you should learn is, oh, this is what it feels like to be gossiped about. I'm going to make sure that I never gossip about other people. Or if you're going out, well, you can kind of replace that with just about anything you want. Any situation where people are wronging you, you're supposed to feel that and learn, oh, I'm not going to do that to other people. But here's the deal. Let's say that you're in a situation where it's like, your significant other says, hey, do I look good in this outfit? And they don't. Let's just say that they don't. Or actually, I'm gonna work my I'm gonna ease my way into that example. So let's just say that you're at a party or whatever, and you ask someone, hey, do I have something in my teeth? 
and then they look at you and they're like, well, I don't want to offend them. So they say, no, you have nothing in your teeth. And in the whole while, you've got like a piece of broccoli the size of the Empire State Building in your teeth. And it's just like brutally obvious. And so you're like, okay, cool. I've got nothing in my teeth. And you're walking around interacting with people. And then there's a mirror and you see this massive piece of broccoli in your teeth. And then you look over at your friend and you said, you said I had nothing in my teeth. Was that a kind thing for your friend to not tell you about the stuff in your teeth? No. Yes, but no. No, it wasn't a kind thing. Maybe they were doing it to protect your feelings, but it wasn't a nice thing. No. And so the lesson that you're going to learn is, okay, I'm going to be honest to people. When someone asks me if they have something in their teeth, I'm going to tell them the truth, right? Here's an alternative one. Maybe you're in a situation where like you would rather have people lie to you. And so for you, you're like, you know, I know I've got all these problems, but I would actually rather you lie to me, which there's a whole bunch of examples I could pull from, but I think you get the point. If you're in a situation where you'd prefer other people to lie to you, does that mean that you should lie to other people? Because I mean, it says do unto others what you would have them do to you. What do you think? Probably shouldn't, but at the same time, yeah. You said you probably shouldn't. Yeah. That was the right answer. Most of the time. Yeah. So this is kind of like a rule of thumb where this is how you're going to approach other people breaking Christ's law, but this doesn't overwrite other portions of the Bible. This isn't like, oh, I would like people to lie to me, so I'm going to lie to them. No, you shouldn't want people to lie to you, and you shouldn't lie to other people. So this isn't overriding the law. This is saying that if you love people, you will treat them a certain way. If you're lying to people, even if you're doing it to protect their feelings, it demonstrates you don't actually love them, right? So additionally, you should be willing and ready for people to treat you the way that you want that. Um, you should be willing to have people treat you the way that you want to treat others. For example, if you know that the loving thing is to confront someone else's sin, that means you should be grateful when other people do it to you. If I know that the loving thing is to confront your sin, then that means that I also know it's the loving thing for you to confront my sin. Proverbs 9, 8 says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So if I know the loving thing is for you to confront my sin, well, if someone comes and confronts my sin, maybe I'll blow up at them and I'll be super angry. But if I'm following this rule where I want them to do to me what I would do to them, and I know the loving thing is to confront someone's sin, I'm also going to be grateful when someone confronts my sin. So this also is going to set your feelings, right? Because that's a very different thing. So all those things. But we've talked about the Beatitudes. We've talked about what not to do, what to do. And now when you know what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do, you're not going to respond by despising other people and looking down your nose at them. You're instead going to respond by doing what you should do. And then you're going to recognize that, oh, I need God's help in that. And you're going to pray to repent and you're going to pray for God to help you to grow. And then you're going to interact with other people as a bunch of walking object lessons, where if you see that you'd like to be treated in a certain way, you're going to make sure you treat other people that way. And if you know that there's a certain way you should be treating other people, you should want other people to treat you that way. So with that, let's bow our heads, pray it out, and we're going to have one more lesson out of this.
Lord, thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Not only is it so incredible in separate pieces where a bunch of the sections of the Sermon on the Mount are the most famous sections of the New Testament, but also they work together in an even more beautiful way. I pray that you would help us to grow in our character. Help us to respond to your law by wanting to follow it, not by judging other people and being unkind and unloving to other people, but instead to follow the law ourselves and to help others to do the same. Lord, help us to do that in prayer and Lord, help us to do that where even when we're wronged, we use that as an object lesson of how to act ourselves. Give us strength in this. Give us love in this. Amen.